0: Hello there and good evening. My name is Randolph J, and you're tuned in to the best of what's out there on midtownradio.ca. The premise of this show is a simple one. Each week, we'll be hosting intimate and interactive chats with familiar friends and fascinating strangers about their passions. Could be bird watching, Formula One racing, restoring antiques, or anything else that gets them excited. Our guests will be sharing their fondness for the various subjects that help shape who they are, and occasionally, they may even share their strategies for dealing with everything else in life. Over the past couple of weeks, we have been experimenting with live streaming, and I'm happy to announce that on January 2nd, we will be able to do live streams of this program so that we can take your questions and your comments toward our guests in real time. So we look forward to that January 2nd. In the meantime, I want to thank today's very special guest, Kate Frazier. Kate and I had a great conversation yesterday, Christmas Day, in fact, where we talked about one of Kate's great passions, which is coffee. So we're going to be sharing that conversation with you right now. I wish everyone a fantastic evening. Please enjoy this chat with our good friend Kate Fraser on Mondo Rando, the best of what's out there. Here is part one. Okay, we're with Kate Fraser, and we're talking coffee, and we're doing this over the holidays while she is joining us from lovely Peterborough, Ontario. Uh, did the storm hit you hard?
1: Uh, I skipped it. I stayed in Kitchener for the storm, and we came down today when it was like beautiful and sunny and just a little windy. Oh, uh, it got pretty bad here though. Like, there's some snow. We had the internet out for a little bit, but seems to be okay here right now.
0: All right, and you're heading back to tonight or tomorrow? Tonight. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, are you off for the whole holidays, or do you?
1: Oh heck, no. I don't. I don't rest for that long. I like <laughs> to keep busy. All
0: right. Well, today's topic is coffee uh, and uh, each week we're talking with someone that's got a uh, a definite fondness for a passion for e- would you call yourself a coffee nerd
1: yeah absolutely I would call myself the coffee super nerd in fact
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so coffee super nerd Kate teaches a course on coffee tasting at Conestoga College but that's not where you got your your start with coffee so where did you start
1: Uh, I got my start at coffee a very long time ago at this little cafe downtown Kitchener called Matter of Taste. Um, That's where I kind of started to cut my chops in coffee land. Um, Gosh, I couldn't even tell you how long ago that was. I should know, but I don't know. we've known each other
0: for a long time, and it's before we met. Because I know you (laughs) went off to the – we met after you'd been to the Cayman Islands already uh, as a professional barista.
1: Yeah, so I left Matter of Taste to go to the Cayman Islands to work in coffee for a little bit. Um, I mean, I want to say that was like 20 years ago, maybe.
0: Probably <laughs> close to it. Cause we've known each other uh, nearly 15.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's gotta be at, like, if not 20, very close to
0: that. Right. Okay. So you went to, you went to, uh, the Cayman islands and yeah. uh, we're a barista down there. And how'd you find that experience?
1: Uh, I'll be really honest with you. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things about, um, the, the beauty of globalization and the beauty of Working in an economy like Canada is we have access to a lot of shipping. Um, when you're in a little tiny place like the Cayman Islands, they don't have as much access to good quality coffee beans. So, And it was all being shipped in from the States. So it was coming in already pretty stale. Uh, and I'm I'm a pretty fussy person when it comes to my coffee. So, I mean, it wasn't the worst coffee, but it definitely wasn't the best.
0: All right, so now I'll be totally honest with you. I have gone a long way not to develop my palate as far as <laughs> coffee goes because uh, I learned a long time ago that if you can appreciate, if you don't know the difference between good and bad, it's all fine. <laughs> it's all great. It's you, you can do it with wine. You can do it with most things. And coffee in particular, I found that if I I just enjoy the cheapest coffee I can get at the time – And uh, as long as I didn't know the difference, I was going to be okay. But Amelia, my lovely wife, she enjoys really good coffee. And when the pandemic hit, we started getting the the coffee at home as opposed to me just going to, uh, you know, the the Tim's down the street. So now my palate has been improved and I'm not happy about it.
1: Yeah, I'm so sorry for your loss, Randy. (laughs) Uh, I know what that's like. And I often say... um, There's a little bit of pride I have to lose when I'm working my nine to five job when the only coffee I have access to is a Keurig. Um, So I just call that like taking a quick liquid nap, just giving (laughs) myself a little bit of caffeine to get through the day. It's definitely not for pleasure at that point.
0: So were you a coffee drinker early on in life before? I
1: was, um, which is kind of funny because no one else in my family really drank coffee. Neither of my parents are coffee drinkers. Uh, My grandparents always really drank tea. I just was really lucky to have some friends from uh, Latin America when I was a kid and they just served coffee with dinner. And Mm. if there's one thing I'm very skilled at, it's being invited to dinner. Um, I love (laughs) food very much. So I was always just kind of like the token weird friend at the dinner table um, that was too polite to say no when somebody offered me something I didn't understand. Uh, So I had a, a friend whose family served me coffee and I immediately fell in love. Um and came home completely wired on coffee. I would have been in like grade six, I think, at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, my poor mother. <laughs>
0: oh, my <God. laughs> so, if there's any skill to have you back to talk about, it's definitely going to be getting invited to things. That's a right? that's a skill by itself.
1: Getting invited to the table is an important skill to have in life.
0: (laughs) Definitely true. Okay, so you you got your little, you know, you got your uh, your addiction underway uh, in the Mm -hmm. sixth grade, and then through high school, I guess you know exams and things. Coffee, you know, I I got started in coffee as far as just drinking it uh, in late high school, and I never stopped.
1: Right. I think in high school, um, again, a very long time ago. I don't want to date myself, but there wasn't really good coffee around like the coffee that we got back then was like you know you go down to williams coffee pub and or go to timmy's and get a double double and at that point we're just drinking milk and sugar that's got a bit of coffee flavoring to it yeah um so it honestly wasn't until i started working at matter of taste and that's again that issue of like you get this really excellent cup of coffee and it just ruins everything else for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how they rope you in, right? Like try this really good coffee. There was a woman that worked there that I kind of call my mentor. Who's not in coffee anymore. And I went and ordered a really nice cup of coffee and I took it over to the condiment stand to put sugar in it. And she (laughs) slapped the sugar out of my hand. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, And she said, honestly, just try this coffee black. And at this point, I'm set in my ways. I want my double, double, but I humor this lady who maybe just assaulted me a little bit with love and respect for her cup of coffee. And I get it now. So I tried this black coffee and I'm pretty sure it just changed my life right then and there. And it was just, I, I continued on to work, drinking this black coffee. I quit my job on the spot and turned around and went back to the cafe to apply for a
0: job. Really? <laughs> yeah. So what were what were you doing at the time?
1: I was a 411 operator.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, so you've got to stay alert and happy.
1: You know, to talk to some really awful people on the phone. That job was miserable, but <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> hard to quit, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and then I was just, I needed to be around it more. It was just like this instant love affair. Um, And with the person I am and maybe a touch of the ADHD, a little bit of the autism, Mm. I immediately wanted to learn every single thing about it. So I went on a deep dive and started reading books and and getting really in-depth into the industry. And now fast forward more years than I'd like to admit, and I get to teach other people to have the same
0: love and appreciation for it that I do. Excellent. Now, the um, do you did you ever watch the documentary Black, I think it was called Black Coffee or Black, black Gold?
1: Was yeah, there's been a couple. There was one that was Black Coffee. The Black Gold I found really interesting because you get into a little bit more of the politic and the socioeconomic background of coffee, which is eternally fascinating to me, mm-hmm. especially when we have people drinking 99 cent coffee. And part of what I teach is the roots of coffee and where it goes, what it goes through before it gets into our cup. Um, which is an excessive amount of work, an incredible amount of human labor goes into a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. So it grosses me out a little bit that we can expect to pay ninety-nine cents for something that's gone through that much work.
0: Well, and I noticed I just would just did before I, you know, I thought we would chat about this, I just did a a very cursory glance on Wikipedia. And the <laughs> coffee grower uh, nations, the coffee producers, uh, are not the number one consumers of coffee. I think no, it's still is number one by far, as far as growth goes, but it, Finland of all places is the most concerned. The Netherlands, it's all Nordic countries, Canada. We drink three times the coffee per capita that the States do, but Absolutely. all the, yeah. but all the growers are in Latin America, South America, Africa. And I just, I think that's really interesting that, that, uh, such a widely used product isn't being used in the nations in which it's being produced.
1: It's pretty wild if you think about it because coffee is such a speci- it has such specific needs when it grows. So, the growing area we call the bean belt. Mm-hmm. Just that's what we call it the bean belt. Makes and sense. it is, um, I can't remember the specific latitude and longitude, but it basically needs to be very close to the equator. Mm-hmm. So, it's an equatorial grown because it needs that level of heat and light. But it also needs to be grown in a high elevation. So there's very, very specific requirements to grow coffee. Even the bad coffee that we don't like so much still needs to be grown on a mountain. Um, we can't grow it in Canada. We can't grow it in the Nordic countries that want to consume it all the time. But yeah, it's not interesting how it's such a commodity. It is, next to petroleum, the second highest traded commodity in the world. Is that right? So, yeah. So. Wow. I mean, if you think about how many of us are just like we can't start our day without a cup of coffee, Um, it's all coming from somewhere, and it's all just that little bean belt around the globe that it it grows.
0: Wow! Now, so when you, because I'm I'm older than you are, and I remember a time before Starbucks. Do you remember before Starbucks? I do. I remember. I think a second cup came along when I was fairly young, or maybe it had already been there. I just there just weren't that many locations where I was growing up. But Starbucks really changed the the landscape of coffee. Do you think, or it, I really think as... it
1: did. Um, I mean, one of the things you learn as a young barista a long time ago was that baristas get to be grouchy about and gatekeepy about all of the coffee things. Mm-hmm. So when Starbucks was very popular as a specialized specialty coffee associate in coffee as a barista we were so salty about starbucks (laughs) i would never now like i very quite honestly when i just need like a little like um soul rub i definitely go for one of those sugary latte drinks because i don't even care it's not about the coffee at that point it's about just some liquid comfort Mm -hmm. um but the way they approached it even though it's not the way I choose to drink coffee and it's not my favorite tasting coffee, they're very clever about their marketing and they're very clever about creating a consistent cup from cafe to cafe. Mm -hmm. So in my world, all Starbucks coffee is burnt. I consider it very burnt. It's not my favorite taste. It's very bitter. It's very dark, um, very rich. But the reasoning for that is just because of the chemistry of of a coffee bean. When it's darker roasted like that, it's a lot easier for it to stay the same. When you have a lightly roasted coffee, it's a little sweeter, brighter, floral, it's uh, going to change and go stale very, very quickly. Now, if you're Starbucks and you want your coffee to taste the same in Toronto as it does in a place like BC or Seattle or, you know, anywhere that you're going for this coffee, the best way to get it to taste the same is to roast the living heck out of it. So it's a very dark coffee because it's not going to go stale as quickly or... You've roasted all the really good taste out of it, so you're just kind of tasting a flat, burnt coffee. But flat, burnt coffee tastes the same in KW or Peterborough or Toronto or Vancouver or Seattle because it's there's nothing left. There's no nuance left.
0: So you so to get conformity, it's the lowest common denominator sort of taste. The, 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 the best they can make it at a certain level but no higher. So even yeah. the best coffee is going to be spoiled is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Yes. Okay. So. When I talk specialty coffee here, there's a few local cafes that I adore because I know they respect the coffee like I do. And they're also just, we have to be just a little bit off, you know, like yeah. we're sitting and we're smelling beans and we're doing our tasting processes and we're picking out our tasting notes. Um, but there's a few shops I know that I'm getting really fresh beans mm-hmm. and I know we're going to take all of the parameters and all of the variables into account because In reality, the art of making coffee is the art of understanding all of the variables. Mm -hmm. So when I teach people about coffee, I teach them about how it grows. Um, I teach them basically everything I can about all of the variables needed to make a really good cup. So once you have control over the variables, you can take a sock and a hammer with good beans and make excellent coffee. The same as you could with a $2,000 brewer, you know? Okay.
0: So let's talk about the different variables because you mentioned the variables. What are, are the variables? variables?
1: In a cup of coffee, first of all, the, the first and most important part is the bean, right? The coffee mm-hmm. bean that you get. Um, and there's going to be all of the things that affect how that coffee bean tastes, how it's grown, how it's processed. And honestly, I teach a full three hours just on that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get to actually brewing your coffee, your variables are going variables are going to be like how you brew it. What is the grind size of your coffee? So how you grind it your water temperature, and the amount of time you take to extract it.
2: Hmm. Okay.
1: Sounds great. but if you have ever seen anyone do a pour-over. So pour-overs are kind of like the kitschy, cool way to drink coffee right now. If you're one of us cool kids, I,
0: okay. No, walk no, you have to walk me through what a pour over is. Pour over.
1: It sounds really complicated, but it's also the exact same way that our grandparents made coffee before we had all these newfangled coffee brewers. Okay. Back in the day, they would call it a Melita, which is a brand name, but it's just like a little plastic kind of V-shaped thing that holds a filter that sits on top of your cup.
0: Okay, I've you seen no those.
1: Coffee grind in it. You pour water over it. So you're literally pouring water over the coffee. It's dripping through. Okay. When I do that at home, I have a, a kettle that is a variable temperature. So I can fluctuate the temperature of my water based on the bean I have. And again, this takes a lot of trial and error um, or taking the time to find another coffee nerd who can give you some, some dirt. Well, that's a, that's,
0: that's a lot of precision.
1: It's a lot of precision. It's
0: very chemical, very scientific. It is. There's
1: a lot of, I, I always say, like, you think it's just a fun little art form, but it's actually a fair amount of chemistry in coffee. So it's understanding things like lipids and fats and <laughs> soluble, oh, so many things. Um, but so if you're going to do a good pour over, the key is you want your coffee from start to finish to take less than five minutes to brew, but more than three okay
2: that's interesting
1: <laughs> in five minutes because it takes a little bit of time for that water to hit your coffee grind and extract all of the flavor out of it mm. science right that's, so that is science. Have, that's what yeah, it's pure science so we will grind our coffee and i know with practice where my grind setting is but if you're new to coffee you find a coffee nerd mm. they will tell you if there's one thing you need to know about coffee nerds We like nothing more than telling you how to make a good cup of coffee.
0: I believe that.
1: Because we get to share our knowledge. But then we get other people feeling the same way we do about coffee. And we create our own little coffee cult. You That's, know? It's amazing.
0: That's exactly the purpose of the show is to find the nerds out there, get them to nerd out, and then you know, hopefully people will tune in and they will, you know, maybe have a passing interest in coffee, and you will inspire them to become full-on nerds and almost impossible to deal with kind of people.
1: Perfect. More of in <laughs> coffee. The beautiful thing about coffee nerds and kind of inciting this joy and love for the finesse and the nuance in coffee is it starts to demand higher quality coffee. And when we get to demand higher quality coffee, we're willing to pay a little bit more for our beans. And a lot more of that money is going back to where it needs to go, which is not necessarily the cafe owners. It is not the importers. It is the growers, the farmers, the people doing the really, really hard intensive labor to make sure that we get beans that we can actually use.
0: Yeah, well that's so, what I was gonna I was gonna ask you about at some point before we before we get too far in. I did want to ask about the ethics of coffee because I know the prices of coffee compared to what they once were are it, you might as well get a glass of wine because the coffee is getting right. that expensive. And you know I what, and Andy? I and I did want to ask about the ethics of the over the last, what would you say, 20 years is really people have woken up a little bit to how terrible oh, in the
1: last five.
0: In the last yeah. five, okay.
1: It has been a very drastic change of I don't know if it's um we have more access to information and a firmer understanding of what's happening in farming practices now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, things that didn't matter 50 years ago are things that our society and community really care about now. First and foremost is just human rights.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I and would say way- it's, not, it's not even that they didn't matter. It's just, it wasn't on the radar. No one knew Correct, where it came
1: yeah. from. That, that was ran. a bit of a misspeak. Absolutely. Yeah. It wasn't on the radar. It wasn't like a pressing topic because it just, we didn't have access to this global information. Right. And now, with not just social media, but just with the you know, the level of travel that we can do. And now you can do things like go visit a coffee farm for a week mm-hmm. in Costa Rica. You want a nice vacation? Go stay on a coffee farm. And you can kind of see a little bit more firsthand the amount of work going into this. Mm-hmm. When I am teaching and I explain to people the amount of work in just getting the coffee cherries from the mountain down, all of the best coffee is handpicked. There are not machines involved in that. And pickers are typically paid by weight. So they'll go up the side of the mountain. They pick for days on end. They circle trees because it's, um, it's a crop that's it's year-round. It's not just like one big harvest. So the trees don't ripen evenly. You have to like pick from tree to tree, hand pick all the ripest cherries. They're picking something like 200 pounds of coffee and shipping it back down the mountain. When all is said and done with that coffee, that 200 pounds of cherry turns into about 20 pounds of coffee.
0: Wow. That's, a, that's kind of like the maple syrup to sap ratio almost. Yeah,
1: very much. So a lot of what you're getting in a coffee cherry is the fruit, the pulp, the skin, and then the, the part that we actually consume is the seed. It's the mm-hmm. bean part is actually the seed of the coffee tree.
0: Right. Stop me if I'm wrong, because I don't know very much about coffee. I just remember in this documentary, uh, Black Gold, which was, like you said, it was a fantastic documentary. It talked about how they sort of discovered coffee by these goats being really excited and really active (laughs) goats, and they found that they were eating these cherries, and in the cherries was the coffee seed or the coffee bean, or the seed, I guess. You Mm -hmm. call it a seed. Okay. And uh, so that's kind of where the where the origin of people understanding that oh maybe this has got something like a narcotic effect almost.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing about that is originally so the there's many legends surrounding the discovery of coffee. The most popular one is the one you spoke of, and it's a goat herd named Kaldi, and this would have been um, in East. Eastern Africa. So kind is, is of where, Ethiopia around? Ethiopia, right? Remember I Ethiopia is now. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of the birthplace of coffee and still where you find the most heirloom varieties of coffee existing. But they didn't drink it like a drink. That was not something they did. They ate the fruit. So they would take the fruit off of it and mix it with animal lard and make basically like energy bars. <laughs> so they were using it to either stay awake for prayer or to travel from community to community. If they had to do long distance travel, Mm -hmm. they would take these little energy balls of animal fat and coffee cherry and kind of mix it together. It wasn't for a few centuries later um, when the, the uh, Arabian Peninsula was a big trading spot for coffee. And it was the, the Arabs that first started drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. And again, lots of legend, lots of story, because it's so far into the past that there wasn't a lot of recorded factual history so the idea of somebody who wanted to consume it had spilled their beans into a fire and enjoyed the smell of it so tried chewing them thought they were too bitter added water didn't quite work tried smashing it up added water realized it made the water turn brown tried drinking it so that's kind of very quick very loose the idea of where co- drinking coffee came from.
0: So do we use the byproducts or is it, cause it seems like a lot of waste. If, if you, you, they used to do stuff with the pulp of the berry of the cherry, are they, is it just useless now? Is it?
1: It's is pretty useless for the most part. To be very honest, there's not that much fruit on there. Okay. Some places will like, not so much the pulp, but the, the shell, I guess they'll make a tea out of it's called cascara tea. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very nice and sweet tasting. However, it has some of the more um, less fun side effects that coffee has. If you consume too much of it, you're going to find yourself trapped in the bathroom maybe for <laughs> quite some time. <laughs>
2: um,
1: but in, in uh, little small doses, it's very nice. It's just not that common. I think for the most part, it's used to fertilize um, and okay. compost to create healthy farms. But I think most of the time, the way they remove it, um, and again, it's it's varies based on how it's processed. Sometimes they strip that pulp off of it, like that we call it mucilage or pulp or like mm-hmm. goo for lack of a better term. <laughs> goo the technical term um, goo, yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's left on the the seed when it's there's a ferment process. Oh gosh. Randy, I have to tell you, if I want to talk about processing, we'd need like four hours.
0: But but this is like, it's a little taste. People get a taste of what goes on in the mind of a coffee nerd. And it's fascinating. It is. When you get into it, it's really fascinating. So go ahead. There's
1: so much to learn. (coughs) Sorry, I'm sitting in a dry (coughs) room. There's so much to learn about it that I think I spent my first like five years working in coffee. I spent going to classes, reading books, just trying to learn as much of it as I can. Now it seems like I have all this knowledge in my brain that it's hard to get it out. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're processing coffee, there's many different ways of processing it that will change the final taste. And again, it's more of a subtlety. And if you're filling it with cream and sugar, you're not going to be able to tell. If you're roasting it into a dark roast, you're not going to be able to tell. But for me, I can generally tell if something is what's called a dry process meaning they pick the cherries, they lay them out, they dry them out in the sun in big piles. People are raking them and turning them, and then they kind of peel it after it's all dried to get to the seed. There's also a wet process, which means they'll soak them in ferment tanks. Sometimes they remove the pulp beforehand. Sometimes they partially remove it. They soak it, ferment it, and then dry it. So it's like very many different processes, sometimes just based on where it's grown. So if you think about... Um, a coffee farm in a place like Uganda, for example, is not going to have as much access to water as somewhere a little more flush, like Brazil. Like that the Amazon, yeah. More, yeah, somewhere that has a little more access to water. So they are more likely to tra- traditionally dry it on drying racks whole without doing a wash process because water is not really super accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of places, especially we see a lot of development happen- happening happening because of the ethics in coffee because people consumers like myself recognize the value in spending more pushing roasters and coffee buyers into investing more money into the farms to make better crops Mm -hmm. better taste coffee you can make more money on Mm -hmm. so by investing in the farms the farms have been able to increase their infrastructure to include soak tanks for fermenting having access to water um there's a really really excellent coffee company based out of um Toronto, I think just outside of Mississauga Oakville, and they have developed a lot of partnerships with farms and they will go to the farms and provide education for the growers. Here's some great ways to compost. Here's how to keep it ecologically friendly. We're going to give you a bunch of money to make sure this works, but then we get first dibs on your really good coffee. Mm-hmm. So well, it's a win- Yeah, absolutely. They're investing time into these farms. They're helping them develop their infrastructure. They're helping develop education. And as these things grow, they're also doing really amazing things like developing health care and education to kind of break that cycle of poverty that happens in a lot of these coffee growing regions.
0: Well, and I think what's important is that if we recognize that it, it coffee was a luxury good for a long time. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that it got so cheap for so long at the expense of the growers, at the expense of the farmers, we, you know, I think, I guess we're realizing that, yes, it is $6, $6 for a cup of coffee is more than I used to pay, but I Mm -hmm. should have been paying this then because it's always been a luxury good. And you certainly don't want to be uh, consuming things at the expense of another human being if, you know, just, if just paying a little more, paying a fair price, whether it's, you know, it's a low price or a high price. It, a fair price is a fair price. So, yeah. So, yes. But yeah,
1: so, this, Randy. How much do we pay for a pint of beer when we go out to a bar? But the amount of labor that goes into a pint of beer is significantly less than a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. That's true. And it travels way less. Unless you're buying imported beer. That's on you. But, I mean, what? we have access to great local beers. You can't get local coffee. That's not – coffee is not local. It doesn't like the cold, first of all and it needs so in order to get really good tasting coffee we want it to grow really high up the side of a mountain. We don't have mountains here that are warm enough. Mm-hmm. We're cold. Mm-hmm. Um our mountains are the Rockies. Nothing is growing up there. Maybe goats, but not <laughs> definitely not coffee. Coffee is a subtropical, so it needs warm temperatures, like hot temperatures. Maybe cooler nights, but when i say cooler i mean like like 20 degrees celsius, you know. <laughs> we're not we're not <laughs> We're not talking like cool in Canada um, where we're like, oh, it's really mild out at minus eight today. Um, The purpose of that, when you have anything that grows that way, that develops fruit, when it takes, when it's up the side of a mountain, there's less oxygen up the side of a mountain. A really, really good quality coffee is grown 2,100 meters above sea level. So way the heck up the side of a mountain. When you have something in thin oxygen like that, It makes it harder to grow. So it slows down and it grows very slowly. And as it's growing and developing, so a baby coffee tree isn't giving you any cherries to to consume. It's usually six to ten years old before it starts producing usable fruit. So it has taken its time to start absorbing those nutrients and putting all of that energy into its fruit, Because fruit are seeds, so that's what's going to be its babies. It's putting all of its energy into that. And because it's really taking its time to grow, it's developing all of those subtle things that give coffee its taste, which is the soluble fats, um, the sucrose that is the natural food for that seed. And when it's taking extra long to grow, you get all of these extra beautiful tasting coffees. So the higher the elevation of the coffee... The more refined the taste, because it's taken a lot more time to figure out how to grow and be tastier. Its whole purpose is to make healthy baby plants. We right. just interrupt that process and we're like, "Yoink! You're mine now. <laughs> no babies for you, Mister Coffee Tree or Mrs. Coffee Tree. I don't know if they
0: are gendered. They're well, trees, that, uh, That's up to them. That's up to them." <laughs> uh, now, I, so I, might, I, I think what you're saying is, if we ever do start, you know, getting going to Mars, the first thing we should be doing is planting coffee trees. Or
1: yeah, you know, if you can really do a lot of climate control, you could probably do some wonderful things. I'm sure in a greenhouse here you could grow coffee. I've been, I've seen full grown coffee trees that exist indoors in Canada, but their coffee tastes like nothing.
0: Well, and there they are certain there thing. are certain things that you can you can artificially uh, you know affect. You can affect the level of moisture. You can affect certain things, but you can't affect if if the distance you are from the center of the Earth affects the taste. You can't fake how far away you are. The plants are smart. Plants understand right. where they are in relation to the center of the earth or the planet or the sun. And to fake that, I don't know how, how how big a genius you'd have to be.
1: Right. And I mean, we can be crafty. Coffee all started in Ethiopia or in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Anywhere else that coffee exists, humans put it there. Mm-hmm. So It got to Brazil. This is kind of fun. One of the Louis... I don't know which one, one of the kings of France. When France was just kind of getting into the Caribbean, and they took over a little island they called Martinique. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the Louis was gifted a little baby coffee tree from the Dutch. The Dutch were already kind of trading it around. They managed to scoop a little coffee tree, and they brought it to King Louis the something. He was somebody who collected fine plants. You know, he had his nurseries and stuff, but he got really excited by this little plant. They're really pretty looking little plants.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, you know, I, I know it's too cold in France. I'm going to bring this to one of the colonies down in the south in the Caribbean. So he brought that coffee tree there. It kind of flourished there. They're like, holy moly, this is a good time. We're going to keep this here. Then it was stolen by somebody else and smuggled out of that colony and into Brazil. Mm Because we know the French aren't the ones that colonized Brazil. That was the the Portuguese. Mm -hmm. So there was some sneakiness that happened there. Again, lots of theory, romanticized stories of somebody wanted to plant it. They knew it would do well in Brazil, but they had to steal it from the king. So they got a bouquet of roses for their lover and hid the coffee seeds, the beans, inside the roses. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And they were then taken into Brazil and planted and grown. So basically every single coffee tree, even though... They kind of mutate, they change the same as any of our food does when we grow it and we mess with it. But they all came from that first plant that was brought there mm-hmm. by the king of France. I doubt he was like carrying it on his ship, like, I love you, little coffee tree. I would, but I'm not a kid. So
0: definitely a romantic yeah. history about coffee. In that particular documentary, uh, they said coffee was responsible for the French Revolution, they said coffee was responsible for, huh, but
1: it was. in it's I, own way. Be, yeah. Because of accessibility. Tea had a lot to do with that as well. Um, but yeah, it's accessibility. They are like, why do the royals get all of it? I want this. I'm cool. I want well, the, ver-
0: the other rationale, though, which makes sense, is they said people sobered up. and Because they used to meet in taverns and just drink their troubles away on wine mm. or whatever else was alcoholic. And then coffee came along and they drank that instead So yeah, and they would get they would get coffee angry, you know, they would get really, you know, tense, and so they would start to actually sober up and say, this is how we, you know, fight back against the authority. There's
1: so, also the idea of Balzac, like, there's a whole coffee chain named after Balzac, yeah. because apparently this man drank, like, I think, I can't remember the number now, dozens and dozens of coffee in a day, and that's how he would do all of his writing, just yeah. sitting in a coffee house, pounding back coffee, <laughs> okay. he must have been a really irritating person to be around. I mean that with love, but I know what I'm like when I've had a couple (laughs) too many cups.
0: (laughs) Who isn't, let me say. Okay, so I have to pause this a sec because it's going to reboot, so I'm going to send you a fresh link in a couple moments. Okay. Okay, so stand by. You have been listening to part one of this week's installment of Mondo Rando, the best of what's out there on midtownradio.ca. Our very special guest this week has been Kate Frazier talking about all things coffee. My name is Randolph J, and if you'd like to learn more about this program, please do drop me an email anytime. The address is Radiorando at gmail.com. That's Radiorando, which literally means just some guy on the radio. Radiorando at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Look for Mondorando. And on Instagram, it's Mondorando Radio. Stay tuned for part two of this week's program coming up right now. All right. Welcome to part two. We're here with our good friend, Kate Frazier, who is a coffee nerd by her own admission. And of course, on this program, to be a nerd is is not what it was in the 80s. Now we celebrate nerds, and we celebrate the nerd in all of us about a certain topic uh, or idea or hobby or pastime. And for Kate, one of her because I know you're a, a, you're a, a poly nerd. <laughs> you're a nerd on many things. That's true. Uh, and today we're talking about coffee. And I want to just quickly thank you again uh, for taking the time to join us. Is uh, on at Christmas uh, with you, when you're celebrating with your family, and I know you've got uh, a lot more celebrating to do. So I just want to thank you for walking us through uh, this particular nerd hobby of Kate's, which is um, <laughs> coffee. And I say hobby with the utmost respect because I know it's more than a hobby.
1: You know, it's it started off as a a work, it was job. Uh, it became very much a passion and a love. It's not what I do full time anymore um, because I love it, and I <laughs> didn't want to start hating it. Um, I have the very great opportunity to teach about how much I love this thing. And that's the extent of how I have to work with it. So I still get to very much love it and keep it as a hobby for now.
0: But speaking of the teaching aspect of it, uh, you're teaching at Conestoga. And what is the course called?
1: So it's through the hospitality, like the the bartending program. Mm -hmm. It's just a couple, I do a couple units. So when I teach coffee, I think initially they thought I would come in and teach everyone to be an all-star barista. Um, In order to be an all-star barista, you need to know the fundamentals of coffee. So I teach the fundamentals. I call it kind of seed to cup. And I walk people through how to professionally taste coffee. Um, Like you would a flight of wine or something like that, except coffee is a lot more complicated. I do tea as well. That's one of the other parts. But coffee is my main love.
0: Well, interesting. You say the, the tastings. Now, uh, I, I am no sommelier, but I, I'm <laughs> a little more familiar with wine than I am with coffee. And uh, so when you're having tastings, is there an expectoration corner? Because I know you don't get the alcohol uh, with yes. coffee. But, uh, I you, made you, sure but you, but
1: People have yeah. <laughs>
0: because the ca- I, mean, I, I would think the caffeine buildup and the the you would definitely have those. Uh, that's an accumulative thing, thing. So if you taste twenty coffees, you've had twenty
1: coffees. I strongly encourage people who are tasting more than one or two coffees to spit, <laughs> because I have I've experienced caffeine overdose. It is a nightmare. It is not a good feeling. You might as well drink four bottles of Jack Daniels and try and run a, man- a- marathon. Like you're not going to have a good time. I think that we talk a lot about um, you know it's better than alcohol and it is like alcohol has a lot of other things we don't need to get into that but like too much coffee is really bad for you wherein like it's bad for your mental health because <laughs> holy moly the anxiety of too much caffeine in your system.
0: Woof, so what? So I do you it. do you enjoy decaf as well? Ever? Nope, never. <laughs> All right, that won't ask you any I, more questions. About I am decaf.
1: firmly against decaf as a thing. Um, when I want to avoid caffeine, I'll just drink an herbal tea. To me, like part of when you make a decaf coffee, you're stripping everything that's good out of the coffee, including the caffeine mm-hmm. and kind of jamming all those lipids and oils back in there, hoping it's still going to taste okay. And right. It doesn't.
0: Because <laughs> you, you're not adding caffeine to caffeinated coffee. You're stripping um, it out of for yeah. decaffeinated coffee.
1: You're so. quite actually decaffeinating. There's safer processes now than there used to be, like Swiss water process. But all of it involves a chemical extraction process. I mean, if you have access to caffeine and other things, sometimes that is coming extracted out of coffee. You know, it has medical purposes. If you're somebody who is like myself and you suffer from really terrible migraines, caffeine is really important in your migraine treatment. So there's that. It has its benefits. but. Uh, decaf can go straight to the hell it came from. I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> well,
0: we both, we both share the migraine. I used to get migraines. That's neither here nor there. Uh, so when you're teaching your class, you're teaching a class at Conestoga College, uh, mm. what, what is the, what is the, what are the biggest misconceptions that your students come in with about coffee?
1: They, they honestly don't understand that it is a crop. So it is something that is heavily influenced by how it grows and where it grows um, people just kind of think we get this magic bean. I'm not sure where where a lot of folks believe it comes from. But when I'm talking about the processing that coffee goes through before we consume it, I watch minds get blown from time to time. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> there's like This is wonderful. We have a green bean. We roast it. We know that it's roasted. But no one really seems to understand the intense amount of work that goes into it before we get the chance to roast it. Mm-hmm. It's already gone through five or six steps before that. So it is. It's a crop. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. dependent on weather. It's dependent on, you know, natural disasters, some of the finest coffees in the world or some of the most exquisite coffees in the world. Um, they can sell for one hundred dollars a pound. But if there is a crop that goes sideways or there, there is a blight or there is a big weather catastrophe, some of these are grown on volcanoes. Uh, you know, we know that in Hawaii, uh, Mauna Loa has has exploded erupted that's the word i, I erupted want.
0: the word you want,
1: yes <laughs> right exploded that's fine kona coffee is grown on mauna loa so what are we going to see is that going to decimate their crop is it going to mean suddenly it's extra fancy if you can get it it's hundreds of dollars just because it's unavailable some of that just speaks to our consumer patterns right like oh it's rare i'm gonna buy i'm gonna spend a hundred dollars on it just so mm-hmm. i have it but I don't think that something like a Kona coffee tastes any better than a really well-grown Salvadorian coffee or Mexican coffee or Ethiopian coffee or any of those other places that it
0: grows. Well, I think Just the story places. the story does a lot of the selling. It's like the sizzle sells the steak sort of thing. Yeah. Like, as soon as you find out, hey, here's a coffee that's passed through a cat. <laughs> <laughs> you you know that, what I'm talking about? say the,
1: one thing to anybody listening, please don't drink that coffee. Please don't drink that coffee. What's it called? What's, what's it called? Uh, it's how oh, it had loopy, oh, loop, I can't remember, but it's, it come, it's digested through a civet, which is a type of cat that's in usually New Guinea, Sumatra area. Mm-hmm. But it's actually really unethical now when it was brand new and they were actually finding it in the jungle cool. But now they're actually capturing these animals and keeping them caged and force feeding them coffee. Whoa, so that's terrible. 0% ethical. And honestly, guys, I've had it, it's not that good. And when it came into the roaster, where I first witnessed it, it made the whole roaster smell like poop. So mm. it's, it's poop. You well, That's always poop. the, that's always the it's problem weird. when you find
0: something natural and <laughs> there's the instinct to capitalize on it at the expense of itself. It's, it is yeah. the, the goose laying the golden egg, that poor Correct. goose, you know, yeah. but at any rate, uh, so, so your students come in and you blow their minds, which has got to feel great.
1: Do you, I like, love te- it. Do you,
0: do you like teaching?
1: I love it. I honestly, I've I come from a uh, my my parents teach. So I, I come from a long line of, oh my God, I'm never going to be a teacher, very honestly. <laughs> so getting to do it part-time as like getting to teach about something I'm really passionate about and I really care about, it's a lot of fun. Mm. And I know there's a lot of fellow nerds out there that can agree with me that when you feel you're the expert in something, it feels really good to have other people get excited about things you're excited about.
0: When you can bring your passion to it, I'm sure that your students are, are very, if, whether they say so or not, I'm sure they're very appreciative that you're doing what you doing
1: they also like that i show up with coffee and i let them taste coffee <laughs> they do not like when they ask me for the milk and sugar and i stare blankly at them and be like this is coffee class not milk and sugar class I'll i don't have you, that here
0: <laughs> i will i will tell you honestly i have tried i'm a, i'm a, i'm not, i wouldn't say i'm a lazy person but i am absolutely a corner cutter and i am a path of least <laughs> resistance kind of person where it where it where where i can take shortcuts i'll take shortcuts and i have been trying my entire life to switch to black coffee, to switch away from cream and away from sugar. Because I did the calculations one time of how much of my day and my month and my year and my life was spent putting cream and sugar in a cup where I could be using that time for something else. And I'll tell you, Kate, I can't do it. I don't know. My, Amelia can do it. Amelia does it without mm-hmm. trouble at all. I know Jessica Fletcher on Murder, She Wrote, she drank <laughs> black coffee. I, my hat's off to them both. I can't do it. And how? So both how do I do it? it? How do I do?
1: Honestly, it? to be very honest, some people just won't. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to dishearten you Randy, but our palates are very genetic. So the way I taste and the way you taste is going to be exceptionally different. Mm-hmm. I have a really refined palate. I have spent years training my palate to mm-hmm. taste carefully. I'm also what's called a super taster and that is hereditary. What that means is my palate is very very sensitive um and very very annoying and i often if i have very heavily flavored food i have to plug my nose in able to be in order to be able to eat it uh, so my palate doesn't get overwhelmed um i uh, i do like seasoning in my food i am not just like a salt meat potatoes kind of person but i have to be very very careful about how much flavor is in my food or i can't consume it so That's when i'm drinking gift. a coffee right it yeah. it has you know, it's pros and cons. Yeah. But when I say, when I'm trying to teach somebody about trying black coffee for the first time, there's a few factors you can take into account. Fresh is key. So you want something that's been roasted recently. Mm-hmm. Um, finding a nerd spot where other coffee nerds go is always beneficial. But try and get something very light roasted. The lighter the roast the coffee, the less bitterness that is there. Mm-hmm. And the, when I say bitterness, think of like the difference between a milk chocolate and a raw chocolate. Right. So if you ever had like baker's chocolate, raw chocolate, very dark chocolate, it's mm-hmm. bitter. And some people really just don't like bitter. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I like bitter, but I will eat like 98% chocolate and have a good time. And I don't tend to have much milk chocolate because I find sweet to be a little overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But that's just my palate. So when you want something a little brighter, sweeter, you go for something a little, you go for a light roast because you're getting those natural, I'm going to use a word I haven't used yet, enzymatic tastes that develop in coffee. So when Relate, you cook, Relating to the
0: enzymes, correct? Relating to related the enzymes. Relating to the
1: natural enzymes that grow in that coffee. Okay. So if you think about toast as a good example, I use this one a lot. Toast and bread are the same thing. Mm-hmm. The difference is we have applied heat to the bread to create the toast. They don't taste the same. They don't. That's true. That's you can true. have a fresh piece of bread. It's a lot sweeter. You get those natural sugar tastes where if you have a burnt piece of toast, it's unpleasant. You taste charcoal, you taste burn, you taste bitter. So it's kind of the same with coffee. The closer it is to its natural state, the more of those natural enzymatic tastes you get that develop naturally in the coffee things like flour and fruit. So you'll get a lot of, um, especially in like an African coffee, just something about the pH in their soil often brings a lighter bodied coffee. Again, that's why where it grows is so important. So if you have something that's very naturally light bodied, sweet, and thin, it's a lot easier to palate without the milk and sugar. Okay. Have something that's darker roasted the longer you cook something, the more of the natural sugar disappears. So now we're developing what I call sugar browning tastes. So as you roast, you develop more of those brown sugar, chocolate, nut tones. But if you go too far, you get charcoal, burn, bitter. So roasty notes are great if you find, strike that right balance. But if you're trying to remove additions to your coffee, go lighter Start smaller and get yourself something that's a little more refined and a little more naturally sweet. The other thing is your palate has a temperature limit. So Mm. if you drink very, very hot coffee, you're not tasting any of the subtleties because your palate is closed down. Mm. Let it cool a little bit and watch your coffee transform. If you start with a black coffee and you're like, this is not, I don't like it. Let it cool down a little bit and start sipping it as it cools. And you'll start to find more fruit notes. All of a sudden you'll be like, oh, I taste a little bit of like almost apple-y sweetness in this. And again, it's not like an apple-flavored coffee. We're just mm. talking tasting notes. The same as right. um, when you have a wine and it's like black currant. It doesn't taste like black currant juice, but it's got that flavor note. Mm-hmm. So in a coffee, it's very similar. So if you have a light-roasted coffee you've more of that natural sweetness that grows into the plant and less of the roasted notes that we put into it by cooking it.
0: Okay, so so I I'm what I'm getting from you is that it's uh, uh if you're going to start with a coffee that that without putting cream and sugar you start at one end of the spectrum yeah. and then you build your I guess you would build I don't want to call it a tolerance because it's not something you I, you don't drink something you tolerate you you, you, you drink something palate. you enjoy. You develop your palate yeah. and you work yourself further down that that road
1: yeah and you will like hit- somebody yeah. who already loves really dark chocolate mm-hmm. have a conversation with a coffee nerd that's always what i say like <laughs> talk to the nerds we're here to help you and you can usually find us listening in on your conversations in cafes that's where you find us but,
0: <laughs> that's why you become a barista right to listen to that's, that it.
1: that's like part of the job is being able to listen in and make re- recommendations right so right. i do say if you go to a coffee shop where there's a lot of like um, hipsters behind the bar, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: and you say Those hipsters people, with love. A lot of lot of great. I mean, hipsters it out with there. so much
1: love. There are people that are there not because they're trying to make as much money as possible, right? Because with love, working in a cafe doesn't pay enough that you can live a healthy, happy life.
0: No, not here. No,
1: but no, but it does give you. I did it because I genuinely loved it. I love the interactions with the humans. I love working with coffee. I love just like creating art with it. And I love talking about it and teaching it. Hmm. it, and wasn't you're, so it. you're so good at it. You're so good at it, too. I love it. Yeah. And I, I'm i just okay. there once a week.
0: And and so you will continue to do this as long as they'll have you, I assume.
1: Absolutely. Uh, it's something I work. I work into my schedule. It's like I just took a new job, a new full-time job, and I hmm. warn them, like, just so you know, for seven weeks, twice a year, <laughs> I'm unavailable <laughs> for a few hours i prioritize my coffee teaching That's but right. again it's just like it allows me to stay connected to something i love a lot in a professional level mm-hmm. um it also gives me the excuse to write off really nice coffees so <laughs>
0: <laughs> very good so your your course is it's 7 weeks and so mm-hmm. i'm assuming you've laid that out in a way that is uh, adaptable by your students so that they can kind of move along in a logical
2: yeah way exactly. so
0: so we so you start off with the the you know the the crop aspect of it the fact mm-hmm. that it is a crop where do you go from there
1: After we talk about why it should taste the way it does, the next thing I need to do is teach you how to taste. Mm. So, And not just coffee. The way we use our palate when we cup coffee or when we do a proper coffee tasting is very specific. We engage the entire olfactory system. It's not just your mouth. So it's about different breathing patterns. It's about understanding kind of how our body and our brain absorbs taste, whether it's using your palate in a specific way. If you think about even in wines, you're slurping, you're swishing, you're spitting. All of that mimics ingestion. Mm -hmm. So there's like this really common misconception about our palate that all of our taste buds exist on our tongue and we have salt, sweet, sour, but that's not true. All taste buds are similar they exist in different parts of your mouth, but they also exist on the back of your throat and the roof of your mouth. So when That's
0: teaching, the palate. That's what the palate is. Yeah,
1: it's the yeah. whole palate. So when I'm teaching someone to taste coffee, I also have to teach them which part of their palate they should be using at different steps. Mm-hmm. So whether it's making sure you, um, I call it chewing. So when you sip your coffee, you want to make a chewing motion because you want some of those oils to be evaporated through the roof of your mouth to make hit your olfactory system differently. Now, one thing I have noticed about when I'm teaching is different people have different capabilities. Some people cannot taste subtleties. So we have to learn more sensory, more how you feel it. Where do you feel acidity in your mouth? Where do you feel sweetness and bitterness in your mouth? So it's a journey for me too, because I get to learn a little bit more about how people's palates, palates are different. Once we learn how to use our palate, then I walk them through the actual process of We call it cupping. A professional tasting of coffee is called a cupping. So then I walk them through coffee cuppings and then I make them write me tasting notes. So here is a blind sample of coffee. Tell me a story. Give me the beginning, middle and end of this cup of coffee. How would you sell this to your customer? If you were working behind a bar and someone really wants fancy coffee, how are you describing it to them? No one wants to come into a coffee and be like, it smells nice. It tastes (laughs) nice. Like what does nice mean? You know, so we use more uh, subjective language as opposed to the objective. And there's all of, I give them all of the different tools that go with that as far as like we have tasting wheels in almost every aspect of tasting, whether it's wine, coffee, tea. So they get a coffee tasting wheel that helps with language. We work on our sense memory where we eat different foods. You know, we'll try a mandarin versus a navel orange because they're both oranges, but they're not the same. Mm -hmm. We'll try a Granny Smith apple versus a Macintosh apple. So you start to understand tart and sweet. Uh, We'll do milk chocolate, dark chocolate. We'll do almonds and cashews. Really just to kind of develop a sense memory of understanding taste. It's very difficult to tell, explain people taste if they don't understand taste.
0: Well, and you have so to, it's part. a, tra- it's a training thing. And if and yeah. I'll tell you, if gyms, if this was what training was all about, I'd be in the gym every day.
1: Right. <laughs> Honestly, you gotta, train me how to eat? things.
0: <laughs> well, but no, it, see, it just seems interesting because I hadn't really thought of that before, but you're right. Like there are certain, if you, if you train yourself to just just taste for sweetness. Where is the mm-hmm. sweetness? Where are you feeling it? And you become yep. aware of your body, aware of your face and your, your, your jaw, your lips, your Tongue, mm-hmm. all the good stuff in there. Uh, yeah, I guess if you do, and then you can just practice and train yourself. Like I'm gonna just t- I'm gonna just taste for sweet things today. I'm just yep. taste, taste for tart things and bitter
1: you things. You know, when when I always tell my students, when you're struggling with something, you have to remember it's a new skill. It takes some practice to learn it. Mm-hmm. Just eat more food and remember, and be more <laughs> be more mindful when you ingest food. Right. Um. I am when I'm hungry. I don't taste. It just goes in my mouth and then it's gone. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's you get that kind of craving once in a while. I just want something really sweet. Mm-hmm. So think about that. What are you actually craving? Are you craving candy and cake, or are you just craving sweetness? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe try. A different type of fruit that day or maybe you really do want candy who am i to judge i love candy mm-hmm. but think about like what is it you're craving is it the sweet is it the tart is it just having your mouth water right mm-hmm. sometimes it's just wanting those digestive enzymes well, yeah exactly out.
0: and there's different hunger and appetite are not the same thing no so as you say like food if you're just hungry whatever you're eating you know styrofoam yeah. i'll just just whatever fills yeah. me up that's fine but if you do apply a little as you're saying a little bit of that work, you are going to make it, I'm assuming, difficult to enjoy crummy food.
1: A little bit. It's a bit of a downfall sometimes, but... Well, swings and roundabouts, you know. appreciation and slows you down a little bit when you Mm -hmm. eat, right? Like -hmm. when you start to really understand that you want to taste these things, it slows you down. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I think in this day and age, we can all use a little bit of pacing ourselves. When I take a coffee break at work, it's kind of a running joke because I take my coffee break more seriously than I take my lunch break. Like, I make my coffee break a half an hour. My lunch break is 15 minutes. I'm just going to shove some food in my face. Mm -hmm. But when I take a coffee break, for me, it's a pause in my day. It's a Mm -hmm. moment of mindfulness. It's slowing down. It's, you know, really tasting my coffee, appreciating the taste, thinking about it. But in reality, I'm just slowing myself down. I'm giving myself a breather where I get to like just think about something that's not work.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's very <laughs> ceremonial. It's very that is what's something that the coffee and tea have in common. There are tea ceremonies because it is yeah, ceremonial. Absolutely. It's a chance to really Put yourself in another mind space, another mental headspace, and yeah. So I, I really like that idea of coffee. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it until this moment, but that's that's why you're here to teach me things. <laughs> so that's good. Um, now, knowing you as I do, I know that you like to see everyone succeed, I know that you like to see everyone do well and have fun. Um, now, and and I, I know that for some people, when they go to a, a coffee, a, a very specialized coffee place, it can be very intimidating. So So I'm going to
1: highlight my most favorite cafe. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm very, very picky about my coffee. Mm -hmm. But there's a place downtown Kitchener. It used to be called Show & Tell. They have since moved over one door and they're called Lucero Canteen. Mm -hmm. That's L-U-C-E-R-O, Lucero Canteen. The staff in there are absolutely, incredibly knowledgeable about coffee. Mm -hmm. But also... The way they message it isn't, they don't do gatekeeping as far as Mm. coffee goes. They want to make it accessible to everybody. If you are brand new to coffee and you really want to get your nerd on and really (laughs) kind of learn about it, I highly recommend going into a place. I don't know, if I were you, I would try Lucero first Mm. because Lucero is a place where you can walk in and say, hi, I'm new to coffee. I don't know what I want. And they will start to work with you to find what you want, what matches, what suits your needs. You know, are you feeling something like an espresso-based beverage? You want something rich? Do you want to do a really nice pour-over coffee where you could pick from our menu today here? And they have tasting notes available. And because the staff are so knowledgeable and friendly and kind... It's a place where you want to go and learn more about coffee. I'm a little bit biased. I've had the great opportunity of working with a fair amount of the staff that are in there during my time in coffee. Mm -hmm. And they're people that are kind of carrying on my love for it and really wanting to educate and share knowledge. So if you're brand new to coffee, you want some really, really good, insightful information about how to start Lucero. They also bring in coffee roasters from all over the world. So there's so much opportunity to taste new things and try new coffees and support independent business, you know. Mm-hmm. But the roasters they're bringing in are small independent roasters from all over the world, which is uh-huh. amazing. The owner, um, his name is Andrew. He is an absolute gem. He's been working in the coffee industry for a really long time and is so passionate about bringing good coffee to the community. Um, I'm a big fan. So. Great. And again, I am not sponsored. They don't give me free things. No, no, um, we would say the so if everybody no, else. If I can th- do a personal shout out too. Sure, of course. There is a specific barista that works there. His name is Jose. Mm-hmm. And he is one of my absolute favorite humans that create coffee in our region. Because he has taken so much time to get to know it. And still makes one of the best shots of espresso in the Tri-Cities, in my opinion.
0: Very good. Kate Frazier, I cannot thank you enough for taking a moment out of your Christmas Day to uh, to talk coffee. And I know you're passionate about it because I know with all the other things you have to do, the fact that you would say, "Wait a minute, stop! My my coffee sense is tingling. Someone needs help about coffee. <laughs> Someone needs to talk about coffee." And you drop everything to talk coffee. That's that's what this show is all about. So <laughs> thank you so much, Kate. Any, it's now, my absolute uh, pleasure. Well, before I let you go, if you have like three or four sentences you could say about coffee uh, that you think everyone buying coffee before they buy it should know uh, before they go and buy it, what would you say?
1: I'm going to say two things. Firstly, source ethical coffee. Talk to the person you're buying from. If they can't tell you information about where it's coming from, go somewhere else. Secondly, coffee is not local. It doesn't grow here. You do not need to be loyal to local roasters. You need to be loyal to the bean. And the best way to be loyal to the bean is to make sure the people doing all the labor where it's grown are treated the way they deserve as workers.
0: Be keen for the bean. Be keen for the bean. Be keen for the bean. Kate Frazier, thank you so much. Have a great uh, rest of your holiday. Best to your family for letting you, you know, (laughs) interrupt their festivities. And uh, I'll I'll be seeing you in the new year uh, very soon.
1: I'll see you soon. Thanks, Randy.
0: Bye, Kate. And that will just about do it for this week's installment of Mondo Rando, the best of what's out there on midtownradio.ca. My name has been Randolph J. Our guest has been Kate Frazier. And if you have any questions at all or comments you'd care to share, please do send them my way. My email address, radiorando at gmail.com. You can find more information about this program on Facebook at Mondo Rando and on Instagram at Mondo, Rando Radio. And of course you can catch this program on demand at midtownradio.ca I wish you well for the rest of the week. Please do get out there enjoy yourself and make someone happy. Bye bye for now.